Let's turn then to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai is a minor prophet that is just shortly before the New Testament, uh, about three minor prophets in from Matthew. Uh, so it's right before Zechariah and right after Zephaniah. Haggai, the prophecy of Haggai. <clears throat> Of course, Haggai here in Haggai, in the prophecy of Haggai, it comes in about uh, really four different addresses to the people. And so Haggai 1 is primarily one address, and Haggai 2 has three addresses in it, to the, whether it's to, to the governor or the priests or the remnant. And uh, so... Really, the theme of Haggai 1, you could say, is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, even as we've been called to worship, calling us to kingdom work. And Haggai 1 is focusing us to look in the mirror and to consider our ways. Haggai 2 focuses on considering God's ways. And wherever we leave this place, I want us to also be encouraged, even though we won't read Haggai 2, and you can certainly do so at home, and I encourage you to do so, that unless the Lord the house does build, we labor in vain who build it. And that we need to recognize that God is indeed building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church, and that ought to motivate us to see that it is the right time to get to work. And so, yes, we need to consider our ways, where we are, but never forget to consider God's ways. And if you want at home later on, when you read Haggai 2, just look at how many times God says, I will. I will overthrow and judge the nations. I will destroy which is against me. I will give you Zerubbabel, the signet ring. I will do this. I will do that. And because of that, let us now consider our ways in Haggai 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, while this house lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each one of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, and on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all your, their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word and also the exposition of it. Dear congregation, I can almost assure you that we've all said, and I'm also guilty of this, at one point, and if we haven't said it, we've certainly thought it, it's just not the right time. I remember many years ago living in a very Christian community in uh, northwest Iowa, and our church was contemplating starting a Christian school. And I thought, you know, the, the schools, even the public schools had pretty good Christian teachers in them even. They were Christian people teaching in a public setting. And, and, and there were also other Christian schools. I thought, what is really the purpose of another Christian school? And I, and, and I, and I just didn't know if it was the right time for our congregation to be uh, thinking, considering this endeavor. And, and yet at the same time, as I surveyed the need and all the frustrations that would come, at the same time, the Lord was guiding us to do so and granting encouragements in doing so. And despite me thinking and maybe even saying once or twice, I don't know if it's the right time. Maybe you have examples in your own life. Is it the right time? It seems like a very good cause, but it's just not the right time. And sometimes we need to be reminded that we're saying it's the, not the right time because our priorities are misplaced. We aren't seeking first the kingdom of God. And we need to be exhorted to get to work in God's kingdom. I'd like to title this with the theme, Kingdom Work. Consider your ways. And we're just going to simply see how God addresses the people. First of all, he says, the people are saying it isn't the right time. 
it isn't the right time. Now, if we stop and we think about this, it wouldn't be so far-fetched to understand how the people would be saying this. We have to recognize the context of Haggai. Haggai was come to minister to people shortly after they had come back from the exile. Well, maybe not so shortly. It was actually 16 years after they had come out of the exile, were now back in Jerusalem, and they had not yet rebuilt the temple of the Lord. We know the history there, don't we? How Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and how he brought uh, the people of God into exile, into Babylon. And then, about 50 years later, then he released the people back to Jerusalem through the hand of Cyrus. God was in control of it. He raised up Cyrus, give him the victory over the Babylonian Empire, and then he releases his people back to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the temple of God. And these exiles, you can find that recorded for you in Ezra chapter 2 and 3 and 4. They were, at the beginning, filled with a great zeal. A great zeal to go back and to serve God, to rebuild the temple. Actually, a large percentage of those who returned to Jerusalem were priests and Levites, approximately one out of seven. And they came there with great expectations. And after a few years, those expectations were greatly diminished. You can almost imagine, all of these other nations are now also coming back to their homelands. And as they come back and settle next to Judah, there they also run out of resources and they plunder the crops of those in Judah. And, and after all, that not only was, was the challenge of just getting a crop, I mean, after not tilling the land for 16 years, you're going to have to re-break the land. And, and, and the economic conditions were horrific. They didn't have much. And what they had, it seemed like it was just all disappearing. And so 16 years go by. And the first couple years, yes, yeah, we should get to the temple. And after a few years, you forget about it. And, you know, we've gone now for 10 years without the temple. Maybe it's not all that important to rebuild this temple. And soon they kind of had forgotten about it altogether. And at the same time, they had built up their own houses. And their own houses are all nice. And, you know, God is telling them, your houses are all paneled. They're, they're complete. You're living in luxury. You have nice homes, roofs over your head. But look at my house. It's, it's lying in ruins. There still isn't hardly a stone on top of a stone. Where can I dwell among you, my people? And so God comes through prophet Haggai and his Holy Spirit to show them that their priorities were not in order when they said it's not the right time. Well, God comes to us in his word and by his spirit today. Maybe he's exposing our misplaced priorities. 
He's not saying that we don't have a church building. As a matter of fact, this isn't necessarily about a church building at all. It's not what the prophecy of Haggai is about. Especially when you look at it in the New Testament context where you recognize in the New Testament that the spiritual temple of God is His people. And He's building up His church stone upon stone, person upon person to this glorious temple that God is pleased to dwell in, namely His people, His church. And so He dwells in us. It's not about a physical temple, but it's about the spiritual temple of God. And he's doing so here at Riverside. I should have asked before the service. Does anyone know how many years Riverside has been instituted as a church? 32. Twice as long as the Israelites had when they came back to Judah, didn't they? 16 years. 32 years. And he comes to us and he says, what? What does he say the people are saying? You have an ice cream social coming up, I just heard. Ah, it's not the right time. I have, you know, I'm just starting school. I'm just starting this. I'm just going, oh man, I just don't have time. Well, what does he say the people here in Riverside are saying? It isn't the right time. Where are our priorities. As our number one priority, God in his kingdom. He says, consider your ways. And it's not, it's not just the church either. It's not just Sunday. It's, it's every day of our life and every moment of our life. God's kingdom isn't just a certain day. It just says in certain aspects of our life, it's absolutely every part of our life. The moment we wake up in the morning is our first thought. God is number one. And when my feet hit the ground, I'm praying, Lord, use me in your kingdom today. May your kingdom come in a more powerful way in my own heart and my own life. May I, may I grow in a knowledge of King Jesus. May I, may I seek to diligently work day by day in service to you, in service in your kingdom. Is God's word and the values that God has in his word for you in his kingdom, are they your number one priority in life? And yes, on Sundays, is it a priority for us to gather in worship with his people to encourage one another? And yet, not only just on Sundays, but daily in our homes as we study God's word in Bible studies, encouraging one another, instructing our children, evangelizing our neighborhoods, involved in mission work throughout this world. This is all-encompassing and can include even your businesses. I hope we as young people aren't saying, I'm too busy getting my education now. Or business people, I'm too busy building up my business, providing for my family. Or those who are working, I, I just need to make ends meet day by day and provide for my family. 
Because I can assure you if you're saying it's not the right time now, you will also find an excuse when you're older that it's not the right time. Because then as you're sitting here as an older person, you start to feel, oh, I'm not so engaged. I, I just don't seem to be very well connected with the young people and, and the others in the congregation and, and in society. And it's just not the right time for me. I've passed that time. You see, it's simply because we are not setting the proper priorities. Even what Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And God further, as we see secondly, says in a rhetorical way to the people, isn't it the right time? The people are saying, it isn't the right time. And then God says in a rhetorical way, he says, isn't it the right time? Really? I want you to think about this. You are living in all of these nice homes. Consider your ways. Consider the habits that you have. Consider your customs. Consider where you're placing your, your priorities. You see, the, really the sin of misplaced priorities is idolatry. God isn't condemning the fact that they have nice homes. But the fact that they put their homes as a priority over God and of, over his dwelling place, that's the problem. And thanks be to God that he comes and he exposes their worthless priority structure. Consider your ways. And then he goes even farther. He says, isn't it the right time? Because I want you to consider your fruitlessness. Your fruitlessness. You have sown much and you just bring in little. Your harvests are little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. And he who earns wages does it to, to put them into a bag with holes. I want you to consider your fruitlessness once, says the Lord. And I want you to consider why. You're so fruitless. One of the main reasons that Judah and we are fruitless is because when we seek after and set our priority in all the things of this world, we can never, ever be satisfied, even if we had the whole world. We'd still want more. We are discontent people. We can never have enough things to be content. No matter how much we have. It seems like sometimes when we get a raise, don't we, we, we may make an extra thousand dollars or two thousand dollars a year and we think, wow, now this year's going to be so much better. And you come to the end of the year and you, you still have nothing left. It's like what God is telling Judah through Haggai, you earn wages and you put it in a bag and it's got holes in the bottom. It just runs right through. Our hope is not on the things of this world. They're all passing away. Sometimes we even have afflictions that come our way to test us and tell us that you can't put your trust in riches. All of a sudden you have a health concern. 
All of a sudden your wife has cancer. And you have to get some expensive treatments. And all of a sudden everything you've worked for and accumulated and it's just, just all disappears. Or maybe you've been confronted with a hurricane. Your home's wiped away or a forest fire. It's gone. It's blown away. I remember one time on the farm I thought, wow, we had, we had a bumper crop. I had just the best corn crop I think we ever had. And I thought, well, we, we should put, put it in a silo. We had a harvester silo and it was in good shape yet. And uh, when you put high moisture corn in a silo, it, it ferments it, it kind of seals itself. It, it, it ensiles and then it's preserved until you take it out and it gets exposed to the oxygen. Well, shortly after we had uh, harvested this high moisture corn and filled this silo full, we thought we had a couple of years of feed high moisture corn for the cows. This little hailstorm had come through the area and we didn't think anything of it. We had the crops off already. We're all good. About January, we're feeding through the silo and the corn just kept getting warmer and hotter. And it's like, it shouldn't do that. It should stay nice and cool because it's ensiled until it's exposed to oxygen. So all of a sudden we realized this is a real problem. And so, so we ended up selling this corn off as fast as we could to neighbors who were willing to buy it for their cattle and so on. Because otherwise we knew that this corn would just completely burn up and it would be worth nothing. Well, once the silo was empty, we looked up and you could see all of the little pinholes in the roof. That hailstorm had, had done enough damage to the roof to put tiny holes in it. The oxygen was getting in and it was like God had sent this hailstorm to burn up our crop that we were so boastful of. You think you have it all. You think you're set and it's just gone. It's like God blows upon it, he says here in Haggai 1. It's gone. We can't find our fulfillment in material things. This is what God is telling Judah and us today. You're making yourself so busy with your own things, your own houses, your own businesses, and everything that this world has to offer. But my house is lying in ruins. And really, then he's faithful to his promises in Deuteronomy, isn't he? Where he says in Deuteronomy 11, if you serve me, then I will bless you in your crops and everything else. But if you do not, my wrath will be kindled against you. And, and you know what? I'm going to withhold the rain. I'm going to withhold the dew. And I'm going to blow upon your crops and they're going to perish. And Judah had turned aside and God was judging them for it. Now, this in no way pro promotes the prosperity gospel. That if we believe in Jesus and we're working in his kingdom, then all these things are going, we're going to have this luxurious, rich, and blessed, prosperous life. That, that's not what it means at all. But we will have spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings that will have eternal value. And then we will know when we're going through difficult times, 
that it's because our Father is dealing with us as sons, as we find in Hebrews chapter 12. Well, you can almost hear the people. But Lord, all of these challenges, all of these challenges, maybe we say it in our own lives as well, all of these challenges. How do we even engage in kingdom work in our day when our society is unraveling at such a rapid rate? How do we engage in kingdom work when, when it seems like all of the ordinances of God are being torn down, even the ones that are based on creation, life itself, where abortion is promoted, euthanasia is promoted, and how the ordinance of marriage is, is, is made look, to look foolish even in the eyes of the world. Where LGBTQ and all kinds of other sexual promiscuity is promoted. Evil is called good, and good is called evil. All kinds of challenges against Sabbath-keeping, and, and all of the laws of God, all of the foundational institutions of God are being stripped away. Shouldn't, shouldn't we just give up? Lord, isn't it enough? Lord says, it isn't it the right time? And then he wants to make sure that we got it. And he says, no, it is the right time. It is the right time. Notice verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Go up, get to work. It is the right time, says the Lord. Sixteen years have passed. The time for excuses is past. And now it's time to get to work. But I think what's most encouraging, in the midst of all of the frustrations and all of the challenges of kingdom work, and getting to work is the very fact that God himself takes pleasure in it. That God himself is glorified when we serve him in his kingdom. That's why God created us. It was to serve him, to glorify him all the days of our life, to enjoy him Is that our greatest joy in life? Sometimes I tell people that I've had two of the best occupations in all of the world. To be a farmer and to be able to see God's hand and depend upon God that the crops would go in the ground and uh, the, the seeds would go in the ground and the crops would grow and the harvest would come in. It was, you were so dependent upon God. And it was a wonderful life for family and everything else to be able to, to share in being a farmer as a family. But it still wasn't the best job. 
the best occupation that God had, could have ever called me to in life is to be a minister of the gospel and to plant his seeds and to plant his word and that his word would go forth and it would accomplish all that he has in it for his purpose and for his glory and that he would take pleasure in it because he is the one who's blessing it. Isn't that true, though, in all of our lives in so many different aspects? Isn't it one of the most beautiful things to be married as Christians? The Lord is calling us not to go and gather wood and build a temple for him, but he's calling us in our marriages to be building a spiritual temple in our families and in our communities. As husbands and wife, you have the most wonderful privilege to be able to show the gospel to the world. As husbands leading your wives, loving them even as Christ loved the church. That's a testimony of the gospel. As, as wives submitting and, and, and to your husbands even as Christ has submitted to his Father in heaven and we submit to Christ our head, our bridegroom. A testimony of, of God's grace and of his gospel wherever you go in, in your marriage, especially to your children. As you're raising children, they witness the gospel in your marriage, in my marriage. As you raise your children and build your home, you have opportunity after opportunity for kingdom work. As your children are beside you, you can instruct them in the ways of the Lord. In the gospel, you can remind them of God's promises. And what Christ has done for sinners like you and like them. You build your home centered on God and his word. You build that spiritual temple, as it were, with the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, set firmly. So the house, the temple is built square. What a privilege. What a, what a privilege it is, and, 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 and it really doesn't even necessarily begin in marriage or families. It really begins in our own heart, doesn't it? Because isn't that where God takes up his abode by his Holy Spirit? Isn't that what God is doing in Haggai 1 as he stirs up the spirit of Joshua, as he stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel, as he stirs up the spirit of the remnant? And he causes them to work because he's alive in them. He's working in them. And that's what we all need. It's God's Spirit within us, dwelling in us. And we would then be conformed to the King and to the values of his kingdom and to seek to serve in his kingdom. It begins there. And it spreads into our marriages, into our families. And then we recognize that God is building his church, his kingdom. It extends to our church and our church family. As the Bible studies begin, as the times of fellowship and the times of worship, we, we, we get to work, we participate. 
We participate in prayer for one another. We participate in, in helping needy families and wave a meal or whatever it would be. And, and we, we get to work caring for the flock that God has joined us to. But not only our own congregation, but also our community. You know, the real reason God wanted his temple built, one of the reasons God wanted his temple built in Jerusalem, because there from Jerusalem, God could dwell among his people. And throughout the Old Testament, we find God had this special dwelling place in the temple, in the tabernacle, before the temple was built. And there, from there, he could be a light through his people to the nations around them. So that the communities that would see the glory of God would be blessed. And that's why God wants to take up his abode in you, his people. So that others can see and know in our communities of the amazing grace of God for sinners such as us. Do they see that? Do they hear that? When's the last time you or maybe even I have taken the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody down the street, somebody outside of our church or outside of Christianity? Do we take the opportunities often enough? Do we look for the opportunities? Are we, are we seeking to be involved in mission endeavors throughout this world? Because obviously, God begins in Jerusalem in the New Testament in Acts chapter 1, and, and he says the, the gospel is going to spread from Judea to Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Are we promoting that? Are we praying for the cause of God's kingdom, praying for missionaries? Are we supporting them? Or sometimes do we get in the way and say, well, it's just not the right time for that. I can't be involved in everything yet. Pastor, you, you just don't understand. I'm not suggesting that we're involved in everything. But I am suggesting that God is calling us very specifically and personally today and say, consider your ways. Consider the gifts that God has given you. And are you using those gifts that God has given you first and foremost for God's kingdom and for his glory? He doesn't want our leftovers. Imagine if you told the CRA that you were going to give them some money for to pay your taxes if you had something left over at the end of the year. Not gonna go so well, is it? God is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He gives us life and breath and everything that we have in life. And he's given us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior. And he gives through him eternal life. We give him the leftovers of our time, of our talents, 
of our money? God says, consider your ways. But he also is calling us to consider his ways. He's taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And when we pray that, are we then trusting that he may use us as servants and tools in his hand to promote his kingdom? And to know that he's taking pleasure in it and, and he's taking joy in his people serving in his kingdom. And that he's giving them blessings today. I tell you, sometimes I'm much more blessed when I'm serving than those whom I serve. Sometimes even going to someone who's in great need in your congregation and you sit down with them and they're sharing how God is blessing them even through the midst of affliction and so on. And you sit there as a pastor, you don't even know what to say. This person is ministering to me. Blessing me. God blesses in service. And he blesses in the future as we lay up those treasures in heaven. Looking for future, eternal, heavenly blessings. And to be, all brothers and sisters, to be called into his presence. Saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been a good steward over a few things. Welcome. Enter the joy of the Lord. Well done. Not because we can accomplish it, but because God is pleased to use his people as tools in his hand to build his kingdom. And he says, go, go up. Go up the mountain, go up the hills, bring wood, build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and I may be glorified. Consider your ways. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider our ways, we confess that by nature we so often run to all of our own businesses, homes, agendas, education. We're building up our own little kingdoms that have no eternal value unless they are in service to your kingdom. And so we pray, O oh God, that you would stir up our spirits, even as you stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant of the people in Haggai's day, how we would go and get to work and that you would be glorified in it, that your kingdom would come and that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hear our prayer, O Lord, and do it for your name's sake. 
for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.